Okay, so uh, as I said, we're going to start with the 10th parak. The 10th parak uh, starts on Daft Sadi Tet Amud Bet. And as I said, uh, we're really, it really tries as much as the Gemara tries to follow some semblance of an order uh, to really follow the process of the Seder night. And we'll see that we're going to address some basic concepts about the mitzvot that pertain to the night of the Seder in general. And then what we're going to do is go through each section and the, basically the way that they divide it up by, is by talking about each one of the four cups. Just another comment by way of introduction. We, throughout our lives, I'm sure have accumulated a lot of information about what's going on in the Seder night. For example, we have four cups of wine, and we uh, know that they correspond to different things. But we know that based on these Gemaras. So just as we're going through the Gemaras, and it's probably not going to come up so much in tonight's class, but in general, we have to remember that the things that we may take as a given weren't yet established in the time of the Gemara. So this way we don't get confused uh, just as a general comment and general way of introduction. So I'm going to read, but if anybody wants to read, I am happy to share the floor, um, mostly because I talk a lot, and so I'm always happy to share the floor. So if you want to read, please feel free. But I'll read until someone interrupts me and says they want to read uh, so the Mishnah starts off, Erev Pesachim, Samach Lamincha, Lo Yochal Adam Achetachshach. So on the eve of Pesach, close to Mincha, a person cannot eat from the time close to Mincha, Achetachshach, until it gets dark. Afilu Ani Shebi Yisrael, even a very poor person, Lo Yochal Achetachshach, he should not eat until he reclines. And you shouldn't give him any less than four cups of wine. And even from this tamkhoi, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. So that's what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah opens up with some general comments about what's going to happen in preparation for Pesach. Right? The first thing that it says is it mentions, the Mishnah mentions a prohibition. You're not allowed to eat from a certain time onward. So the, that's statement number one. Statement number two is, it expands that maybe you would think that this doesn't apply to poor people, but it does. And the third comment that it makes is that there's this thing called four, four cups of wine that even a poor person should be, should be drinking. And the last comment, which really is probably part of this third comment, you have to feed him even from the tamkhoi, which is this general tzedakah box, basically. So, my question to you is what are the, what are the questions on the Mishnah? If you were to read this Mishnah and you were, say, and you were to go through it and, and want to ask questions, either questions in anticipation of what the Gemara might ask or just general questions, anything you want to clarify, any term you don't understand, what would your questions be on this Mishnah? Okay, so what is this what is this Samuch Lamincha time? Okay. Why is Pesach different from other holidays Okay, exactly. So is it something specific? It's okay. Is it something specific to Arab Pesach? Is it a general 
Is it a general concept that we're going to learn out from right here? What, what exactly is going on? Hi guys, how are you? I think there are some Gemaras here. And I think that there are some Xeroxes floating around somewhere, if you prefer to hear. If you would prefer to use Xeroxes. And pass this on. Okay, so all that we've done so far, just to catch you up. Yeah, there's also a sign-in sheet that the Jewish Center uh, would appreciate. Oh, they have one downstairs. I know, but this is another sign-in sheet that they have. Um, and also, the truth is, it's good for me. This way, I have a list of everybody's email. So if I ever need to email you all, then I can. Uh, so what we've done so far is we read the Mishnah in the beginning of the 10th parak, And we're just asking some questions. The first question that SD asked was, what does it mean, Samach Lamecha? What is this time? The second question that we asked was, is this a, a halacha that's specific to Pesach? Is it, is it, can it be expanded to other holidays? What exactly is going on? Um, any other questions that anybody has? One person not Correct. What's the Havamina? Why would you have thought that maybe a poor person wouldn't be included in this? Right? And alternatively, I think you could ask it a little bit of, in a little bit of a different way. Who is the obligation incumbent upon? If you look at the language of the Mishnah, it's a little bit of interesting language, right? The Mishnah says, the low yifchatu low, and you shouldn't lessen for him. So the him is the poor person. So who is required to feed the ani? Who is required to feed this poor person? On whom does this obligation rest? Right? Everybody has to have four cups of wine. If you financially can't buy yourself four cups of wine, then then what? Right? Um, anybody have any other questions? What is a tamkhoi maybe? Um, another question that we probably won't address right now, but just to throw it out there, is there's a language switch in the Mishnah, right? The first part of the Mishnah says, A person can't eat until until it gets dark. But when we're talking about the poor person, lo yochal ad Right? It switches the word darken until it becomes dark to the word reclines. So it happens to be that we're reclining. Why? Because you recline when you drink the four cups of wine. And you drink the four cups of wine when it's dark outside because you can't have the cedar while it's still light. It has to be dark outside. So in reality, they mean the same thing. Right? But the Mishnah doesn't use the same word. So is the is there a linguistic is the linguistic shift significant or is it just for uh, purposes of being a good writer they didn't they wanted to mix it up a little bit and use different different words so it doesn't get too redundant and too boring for the reader I don't know we'll have to see as we go through okay so those are basically our questions and and then the Gemara just to show you the flow is going to go through and attack each line and each word basically in this Mishnah but we're not going to get to the Gemara yet what I want to do today is really just focus on the Mishnah the first thing that I want to do is just for clarification of terminology I need to do a little chart and I apologize in advance I do not have very good handwriting Cindy has excellent handwriting (laughs) (laughs) so really I should have asked you to make my little chart Um, but what I did basically is I need a halachic day for you so we could just make sure everybody's on the same page and we are we are all um, and we're all, we all have the same we're working under the same definition so I don't want to get into this too specific because we're not learning the 
beginning of Masachat Brachot right now. Basically, a halachic day begins at sunrise. There's an argument about exactly what moment of the day is sunrise, and it ends at sunset. And again, there's an argument exactly what time sunset is. But for all intents and purposes, we're going to use the English word sunrise to sunset. And that time is divided up into 12 sections, right? And each of those 12 sections is called an hour. So on a perfect day, when sunrise and sunset are 12 actual hours, and you know, an hour time, six, you know, 12, 60 minute hours apart, then it falls out that an hour, a halakhic hour, is also 60 minutes. But if sunrise is at 8 a.m., right now sunrise I think is at about around 7, 7, 8, right? Seven at seven o'clock is sunrise, and sunset is six o'clock. So it's less than it's. So that means it's eleven hours is a day. So then one twelfth of eleven hours is going to equal one halachic hour. Just so that we are all defining. So when I talk about hours and half an hours, we're not talking about sixty minutes and thirty minutes per se. We're talking about halachic hours, one twelfth of the day of the time from sunrise to sunset. Chatzot, midday, is at the sixth hour. It's going to be halachic noon. As we go through the Gemara and as we go through the commentaries, these are the different times that are going to get thrown around. Mincha Gedola is 12 and a half hours into the day. It's the earliest time that you could possibly bring the afternoon korban, right? A korban tamid was brought every morning and a korban tamid was brought every afternoon. So the question is, what is the earliest time? So normally, it's brought at what we call mincha katana. You'll see it's nine and a half hours into the day. That's normally on a regular day when you when you offer the, the when you offer the the korban that's brought in the afternoon. However, certain days actually, if we had a beit hamikdash, this year would be the case when we would offer the korban tamid of the afternoon at six and a half hours at mincha gedola. When erev pesach and erev shabbat coincide, they offer the afternoon. Uh, they offer the mincha offering earlier at mincha gedola at six and a half hours in order that you make time for everyone to offer their korban pesach. So mincha gedola is the earliest time that you would be able technically to bring the korban of the afternoon even though usually it's not brought until what we call mincha ketana which takes place at nine and a half hours into the day. Plag ha-mincha which is not going to come up uh, in our discussion today, but just that it's out there on the floor. Plag Hamincha is uh, 10.75. It's one and a quarter hours uh, before sunset. You'll know Plag Hamincha from our everyday lives because it's the earliest time that you can accept Shabbat. Right? If you want to start Shabbos early, and Shabbos starts at 9 p.m., and you want to start early, the earliest time that you could start is an hour and a quarter halachic hours before sunset. Plag Hamincha. Uh, so then the question is, we're going to read this inside, but I'll spoil it for you right now. Uh, so everyone, I'm sorry, apologizing in advance. Samuch uh, is considered half an hour before Mincha. And the Gemara later says, which Mincha are we talking about? We're going to take it for given right now that it's half an hour before Mincha Katana. So that's going to be at the ninth hour of the day. So when our Mishnah says, Erev Pesachim Samuch Lamincha lo yochal adam on Erev Pesach, before close to the Mincha time, you can't eat. When does that prohibition begin? It begins at the ninth hour of the day. Samach Mincha, close to the time of Mincha Kitana, which is nine and a half hours, so we're going to say Samach Mincha is nine hours. To show you inside, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. Normally, when you're learning Gemara, on the inside column of the Gemara is Rashi. 
right? When you open up a regular Aranza Masecha, the inside column on each side is going to be Rashi. Here in Masecha Psachim, and specifically in the tenth parak, we have two commentaries. We have Rashi on the t- is going to be on the top of the inside, and then on the bottom is the Rashbam, who says grandson. Oh, thanks so much for receiving. Now I can see you. Um, so, and on the bottom is going to be the Rashbam. The Rashbam is most famously noted for his commentary on the Torah. He's known as a, a, a shot expert. When you learn the Rashbam on the Torah, unlike Rashi on the Torah, who's weaving together beautiful Midrashim to create an approach to Asetah Psukim, the Rashbam is not interested on anything besides the literal understanding of the Psukim. Rashi and the Rashbam, when you're learning Gemara, take on a little bit of a different approach because Gemara is different than Torah and the narrative of the Torah is very different than the textual analysis in the Gemara, so it lends itself to a different approach to commentary. But the Rashbam is most famously noted, I think, for his uh, commentary on the Torah. And I'm pointing over there because in my mind that's where the Torah is. (laughs) But uh, in our Gemara, we're going to talk about Rashi, who's always going to be found on the inside column, in the inside margin, whichever page you're on, on the top. And the Rashbam will be on the inside, but on the bottom. And on the right side is Tosos. Okay, so the Rashbam, uh, and I think on your pages, I even think I underlined it for you. Exactly. The first, the first Rashbam, Arve Psachim, right? Arve Psachim Samuch Mincha, Mincha Kitan. Right? So he says, in case you're wondering which mincha you're talking about, is it mincha kedola at six and a half hours? Or is it mincha ketana at nine and a half hours? Don't worry, it's samuch le mincha ketana, it's going to be close to this nine and a half hour mark. Kodem le mincha ma'at, chati sha'ah, bitchilat sha'ah asiri. So the beginning of the tenth hour, which is the ninth hour, which is because you're into the tenth hour, um, that's, when, that's when this prohibition sets in. Ditznan, as we learned in a Mishnah, Tamid nishchad b'shmona umechta. The tamid, the korban that is brought every day, is slaughtered at eight and a half hours. The krav b'tisha umechta, and it's offered, it's sacrificed at nine and a half hours. Nimtzeit mincha kitana b'tet umechta. Excuse me. We find, therefore, that mincha kitana is at nine and a half hours. V'samachle and near it, close to it, hainu chatisha akodem. And close to it is a half an hour before that, the end of the ninth hour, beginning of the tenth hour, which on our day is really going to be hour number nine. Um, and sorry if that's confusing. Um, okay, so that's just, we see it inside the Rashbam, and people don't really argue on him at this point. Uh, later in the Gebarah, when it addresses what is Mincha, there, there will be some discussion there, but everybody takes it uh, as a given right now that that is the story. No, when the Rashbam said Kodem le Mincha Ma'at, it meant a little bit before Mincha, shortly before. Ma'at. Same thing. You'll almost always Rashi and Rashi and Rashbam are going to say the same thing Rashbam is usually more elaborate and expansive on his discussion every now and then we'll see some different formulations and then we'll discuss them but generally they're going to they're going to be very consistent uh, to the best of my knowledge at least so that's in terms of the first question that we asked, what is Samach Lemincha? Samach Lemincha is at 9 hours in the day that's when the prohibition is going to set in uh, that's when the prohibition starts. 
the next question that I would like to address with you <laughs> is what is the reason for this prohibition? And this is really how I want to segue into the broader discussion of an introduction uh, of an introduction to this this section of Masachet Psachim of Arve Psachim. There is a fundamental argument that comes up about what is the reason behind this prohibition. Rashi and the Rashbam. Well, let's read it inside. Let's first look at um, the Rashbam. It's right below where we just were. Lo yochal adam v'chule. A person shouldn't eat, etc. Kidei she yochal matzah shel mitzvah. So that a person will eat the matzah that he's obligated to. Litei avon. When you're hungry. Mishum hidur mitzvah. Why? Because somehow that's a beautification of the mitzvah. When you, the reason that you stop eating matzah. The reason that you stop eating matzah, samach lemencha, is because it is hidur mitzvah. It's the way you do the mitzvah in the most beautiful way. As an aside, it'll come up in a few minutes. Note that he, when the Mishnah said lo yochal adam, the Mishnah, all the Mishnah said was you don't eat, right? So we didn't, we didn't ask, right? What does it mean to eat? What is qualified in this discussion of eating? Rashbam answered it for us. Rashbam said when it says you're not allowed to eat, you're not allowed to eat matzah. Isn't it that you're not allowed to eat matzah? So that's a minhag. So you're so there's a minhag that people stop eating. Some people stop eating a purim. Some people stop eating um, the whole the month of Nisan. It's based on a Yerushalmi. The Gemara Yerushalmi. We're learning the Bavli. The Yerushalmi uh, expresses an idea that is somewhat famous that you shouldn't eat matzah on Ere Pesach, and if you do, it's Kiboel Arusatoba Bechamav. That it's like you are sleeping with the person you are engaged to in your in her father's house. So it's um, beautiful analogy, I think. <laughs> so there's a lot of discussion. Uh, so let's just talk about that for a second. We'll come back to this discussion in a minute. The Gemara Yerushalmi, as I just said, that exp- expresses the prohibition that you're not allowed to eat matzah at all during the day. Um, there's some discussion of whether that's actually arguing on our Mishnah. Uh, maybe not. Maybe one's talking about different levels of obligation. That seems to be more of a minhag, or a, it's a wise advice not to, except that the analogy is very halachic, right? If you're not in a, a woman uh, background, there's two stages of marriage. There's erusin, and then there's nisuin. There's halachic engagement, which we do at the same time when a, a man gives a woman the ring and says, That's called kiddushin or erusin, right? And it used to be done a year before the actual marriage. The marriage is what we call the chuppah, actually living together, as symbolized through the chuppah. So what used to happen in the olden days is they would get halachically engaged, kiddushin would happen, and then they would separate for a year. Uh, probably because she was around 12 when it took place. Um, but that's just a guess. Um, they, and they, would, they, would, they wouldn't live together for the year. And then a year later, they would come and have chuppah and misu and they would, be, they would get married. And so the analogy, that's, uh, the analogy that the Gemara Yerushalmi is, is providing for us is you're jumping the gun a little bit. Right? Wait a little while. You, there's going to be a time when you're going to be able to eat matzah. Don't jump the gun. Right? There should be a waiting period. You should anticipate, in other words. Rav Soloveitchik is famous for discussing the idea that it's, you, there always needs to be a period of, I guess abstinence is, is a good word. It's not the best word. Of separation 
right, in order to then be allowed to partake in something. That first you need to have a time where it's asur in order for it to become mutar. And so this period of the day of, and we've expanded it then to possibly the whole month, possibly even from the time of Purim all the way to Pesach, to say we're going to have a time where we're going to refrain so that the mitzvah is even more maybe beautiful, maybe it's talking about the same thing, or maybe it's a more halachic so that we actually are desiring to fulfill this mitzvah, we really want it, we yearn for it like people who are engaged yearn to be living together and be married that's that discussion Uh, it's Related, but it's not necessarily related. The Rambam seems to relate it. We'll discuss that a little bit later. But in terms of our discussion back here, so we're trying to understand why there's a prohibition of eating matzah, or perhaps matzah, from Samach Lamincha. The approach of the Rashbam, which is also the approach of Rashi, you could look at it if you want, um, is Mishum Hidur Mitzvah, right? That for some reason you should be hungry when you eat the matzah. You're not supposed to eat because you should be hungry because that's the best way. That's the hedor mitzvah. That's the way to make this mitzvah of eating matzah on Pesach night the most beautiful. Go ahead. You said, um, based on what Rashad said, you can assume that he's talking about matzah specifically, not eating matzah. Probably. That's the... the Go ahead. No, let's say because when you explain with the other one as, you know, so that you should be hungry... So I would think you shouldn't eat anything so that you'll be hungry and you'll appreciate right. masa more. But I wouldn't necessarily assume from that that it's only specifically talking about masa. Correct. That's if you. I would say that's the best way to reconcile the Yerushalmi with this discussion, right? The Yerushalmi says you're not allowed to eat matzah. This is talking about eating in general, right? And so the reason you don't eat in general is so that you'll be hungry to eat the matzah. Right? So that's another way of reading it. Exactly. You don't have to read it that way, but you can read it that way. And when we're going through, that'll be like the biggest way to differentiate between the opinions is what they're talking about in the definition. But we'll come back to that in a minute. Tosot uh, takes a little bit of a different approach. We're going to be in Tosot Dibur Hamathel. Samuch Lemencha Lo Yochal. It's... I don't know, a quarter of the way down the page on the right hand side. Earlier in Masach Psachim and Parakoshah, it said that the dough of the Nachrim, a person could fill their stomachs with. You could keep eating this. Nachri bread, which we, I don't want to talk about what that is right now. <laughs> as long as at the last moment you at least eat your kezayat worth of matzah that you're obligated to eat on Pesach night. Continuing in Tosot, the hacha and here, asar le'achol afilumi b'oyom. So what's Tosot saying? Implicit in that other Gemara is that you can keep eating the whole day. And then at the last minute just shove some matzah in and you're good to go. That's the implication of the other Gemara. Our Gemara paints a very different picture. Our Gemara says already from date to, from some point in the day, you're not allowed to eat. Right? So one Gemara implies keep on eating, keep on eating, keep on eating. We're not worried about being full. Who cares? Just eat the matzah at the very end. Our Gemara paints a very different picture, expresses a very different approach to eating what's called Nibaod Yom while it is still day. So how do you reconcile these two statements together? V'yesh Lamar, some people want to say, adam mizhar That in the case where you're eating that 
dough, right? You know that you're about to, you need to fulfill your obligation of matzah, so you're not going to eat too much. You're going to leave a little bit of room in your stomach so that you'll be able to eat matzah. But if you weren't, if you weren't uh, thinking about the approaching Seder meal and you were just eating randomly, then what would happen, you would forget and you would fill up your whole stomach. I know it's a job confusing. I want to read a few more words in Tosfot and then I'm going to, I'm going to explain it. Sorry, I lost my but when it's still when it's still day it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon you're not so careful and you're just going to eat until you're very full and you're not going to have any room left to fulfill the mitzvah of matzah what is Tosfot saying? Rashbam and Rashi says the reason that you don't eat on Arab Pesach is so that you fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah in the best way and the best way to do it is when you're hungry that is not what Tosot says. Tosot says we have a halachic concern. The halachic concern is that maybe you're going to eat too much and you're not going to be hungry. If you're not hungry, then you're not going to be able to eat matzah, and then you just won't be able to fulfill your obligation. Okay, It's a very different type of answer. The same type of answer, I think, is more uh, explicitly stated in the Ran. Tonight is our survey of Talmudic literature, by the way. <laughs> the Ran, uh, let me back up, the Rif, Rabbi Yitzchak Alfasi, went through the Gemara and said, I'm going to take out everything that's extraneous and I'm going to make a list of what I think the bottom line halacha is in, in, throughout the Gemara. So basically what the Rif does is he follows the order of the Gemara and takes out all the arguments, all the back and forth, and says this is what it is. Then, and you'll find it in the back of your Gemaras, is the riff. You don't have to look. I copied it for you, but it's in the back of your... You don't have to publish it. But it's, uh, in the back of the Gemaras, you'll find the riff. And the Ran, Rabbi Nunisim, commented on the riff. So the Ran, and you'll, it's the bracketed section, Lo yochal adam, a person should eat klomar, lo yadchil lechol, you shouldn't begin eating, at Arve at, at Samuch Lamincha, umifarish the Gemara, the Gemara explains, dehainu ta'ama, why? Because maybe when you eat the matzah, you're going to be so full that it's going to be called achilat gasa. It's going to be called uh, stuffing yourself. What's the little translation? Gluttonous eating. Gluttonous eating, right? And what's the problem with that? Klomar You're going to be so full you won't even be able to swallow it. This I understand after a three-day yantif. This concept makes perfect sense to me. Um, Ella Bakoshi, it's going to be very difficult for you even to swallow the bite of food. And if you eat food when you're that full, you will not have fulfilled your obligation. Because it's not considered achila. Uh, and then he goes through, I mean, like we explained in if you're eating truma, a person who's not allowed to eat truma, meaning you're not a Kohen, review from last year, anybody who's there, what's truma? 150th, right? You have, a, you have a field, you give 150th to the Kohen. If you're not a Kohen or you're not married to a Kohen, you're not a child of a Kohen, you're not allowed to eat truma. But if I, a regular Jewess, uh, eats truma when I'm that full, 
right? That you're now in that category of overeating, achilat gasa, and I eat truma, which normally I am, I have committed a grave sin. In that case, I'm not chayav. I have not committed a sin. Why? Because it's not considered eating. In order to violate eating truma, you have to eat. And when you're that full, it's not considered eating. So what's the comparison to our case? If you eat something that you're allowed to eat, but you're so full, it's still not considered eating. So what do we have here? We have two approaches to the reason behind the prohibition of eating on Arapesa. Again, one approach is very halachic. It's very what I would call technical. Technically speaking, you stop eating at 4 o'clock in the afternoon so you'll have room in your stomach to fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah on Arapesa, on, on Pesach night, excuse me. Right? If you're that full and you keep on eating and you keep on eating, you can't even take that last bite. I wonder what they would think, you know, after I've eaten that much matzah, that last afikomen is not going down so easy. Whatever. Um, anyhow, it's very technical. We want to make sure that you can halakhically fulfill your obligation of eating that matzah on the Seder night. That is not what Rashi and the Rashbam are concerned about. Rashi and the Rashbam are concerned about the Hidor Mitzvah. What is the best, most beautiful way of doing the mitzvah? So what I would like to suggest in the next one is as follows. What exactly is this concept of Hidur Mitzvah? Does anybody have any thoughts on the matter? It comes up in a lot of different places. Uh, classically, it comes up in buying a lulav and etrog, that you want to buy a beautiful lulav and etrog. So Hidur Mitzvah, the most beautiful way of fulfilling the mitzvah of shaking a lulav and taking the four species it's to not buy the cheapest basic kind but you buy the nicest kind right? you don't buy, I remember when I was in Israel so you walk through the streets of Me'asharim, has anyone ever been there around circus time? So you walk through the streets I know, and it's, it's a fantastic experience, everyone's sitting there looking at their etro, trying to figure out the best, most beautiful one there's no money amount, it's just I'm going to buy the best one that I can and that's the Hidur Mitzvah that is described in reference to Lulav and Etrog and other things as well. You, the object, the chatza that you're going to fulfill the mitzvah through is made beautiful. Right? I want it, The thing I'm about to do the mitzvah with, I'm going to spend the most amount of money. I'm going to buy the nicest one so that, uh, so that it's um, so that we do it in the nicest way. That's what Hidur Mitzvah classically means. But I think that our Gemara is addressing a different type of Hidur Mitzvah. What is the Hedor Mitzvah? It's not a description here of the actual object you're fulfilling the mitzvah through. It doesn't say get the best masa you can. Go through some back alley, you know. That's not what it's saying. You have your masa, everything's excellent, right? It says make sure your attitude and make sure that your approach, you the person, have to engage in the experience of eating masa in the best way. It's a different type of Hedor Mitzvah. The hedur here is not a characteristic of the actual chetzah shal mitzvah, the actual object through which you are going to do the mitzvah. Rather, it's a description of the circumstance through which you fulfill the mitzvah. I think to the best of my knowledge, there's only one other example of this in halacha. That is our next thing. Um, the Gemara in Shabbat talks about the Gemara in Shabbat talks about another case of Hidur Mitzvah, Ner Hanukkah. There's two aspects, just so that we're clear, of Hidur Mitzvah with regards to the Hanukkah 
holiday. Number one is the actual Chanukiyah that you use which would fall into the first category. Just like you not, we want a nice lulav, you also want a nice chanukiah. So you should have the most beautiful chanukiah. You should use the oil. The oil is better than candles, right? Because it's the best, most beautiful thing to do. That's category, that's type A, heater mitzvah. We're going to talk about type B. Type B, if you'll look in the section, that section off, it's in the middle. Tani Rabbanan, our rabbi taught, mitzvah Chanukah, ner ish ubeito. The mitzvah of, of Chanukah is you have one candle per household. Uveha mahadrin, the next level, ner lekol echad vechad. Each person has a candle, one candle. So there are six people in your family, there are going to be six candles on night number one. Veha mahadrin mina mahadrin, and the best of the best. Beit Shammai says the first night you write you light eight, the next night you light seven and six and five and four. Beit on the first night you light one candle, and each day you increase. The classic, it's the way that we do it, right? Everyone will know the, the famous argument between the Sardim and the Ashkenazim, right? What, what is Mahadramina Mahadrin? A description is it above in the first level? Is it above the second level? Right, I'm sorry, so we only have one Chanukiah in my house, um, and each night. But we follow the Mahadra Mina Mahadra, meaning each night we increase by one. Right, Ashkenazim typically each person in the house has their own Chanukiah, and they increase one, two, three, four. So here again, we're talking about not the actual thing you're doing the mitzvah with, right? Not the chetzah. We're not talking about the chanukiah. We're talking about the means. And Rashi, it's underlined on the left side, v'hamahadrin achar hamitzvot. Don't read the word mahadrin as the, from the root word hidur, from the root word beautiful. Rather, read it from the Aramaic word of hadar means chazar. The Aramaic word hadar in Hebrew translates to chazar. It means return. Seek after the mitzvot in the best way, Rashi says. The most ideal way to do this mitzvah is as follows. And then Rashi goes on and gives his, gives his whole approach. So what I would like to suggest is that there's a similarity, that there's a connection between the Hedor mitzvah of Hanukkah and the Hedor mitzvah of Pesach. Um, this is my own thought, so take it or leave it, and I'm open to discussion about it. I would love the discussion about it because I'm interested in investigating it more. But before I tell you what I think the connection is, I think that there's one more similarity. Remember we, on our mission discussed the poor person. And the poor person, so the Rashbam and uh, all the other commentaries say that it's incumbent upon the Gaba'it Tzedakah, that the people who distribute the Tzedakah have to go around and make sure that the poor people have four, four kosot. But the Rashbam continues and said, yes, the obligation, below Yifchatu, they should not decrease for him than four, lessen for him than four cups of wine. That is the obligation on the Gaba Yitzhakah. But if you don't have, an, if the Gaba Yitzhakah just forgot about you, then it's a, the personal obligation. You have to do everything within your koach, is the language of the Rashbam. Right? That the poor person has to go above and beyond the normal call of duty to try a, and get for himself the means to fulfill the Seder evening four cups, matzah, etc. The other similarity, that the other time we see this notion um, is in their Hanukkah, that the, the poor person also must literally sell the shirt off his back, uh, which is normally not something that we require poor people. If you can't do it, you can't do it. You're patur. Um, but there's, there's many similarities between Hanukkah and Pesach, 
the first one I think is this Mahadran level, and the second one is the poor person uh, discussion. And I think the idea is as follows. In each of these situations, what we're fighting against is a doctrine or a notion of mediocrity. That in the Hanukkah story, what the real idea, what the real issue was, that the Jews were being persecuted, and they could have just, they could have just, you know, done Judaism, for lack of better words. They could have been Jewish in a in a mediocre level, and they had to go above and beyond the letter of the law and say, no, we're not going to lose, we're not going to lose the things that define us as Jews at a, at the core. They could have just been regular people, and that you know they could have lived like that. But Hanukkah is a message where that's not okay. You have to go above and beyond. And I think that that's exactly what's happening on Seder night as well. The Seder night and what's happening throughout this whole experience, it's the formation of the nation, right? It's the first time that the Jewish people get to act Jewish. It's the moment that we are leaving Israel, that we're leaving Egypt, excuse me, and we're on a way. We're going to travel through the desert, and eventually we're going to get to Shavuot. We have to go through the Seder night and actually view ourselves, Ki'ilu, like we actually were slaves in Egypt, and now we're being free. We're being freed, and we do the holds of Chayav Adam Lerot. Right? In each generation, a person needs to see the Rambam has a different text. The holds of Chayav Adam Leharot. A person needs to show themselves that it could have been me. It could have been me that was enslaved, and now I could be free. So specifically on the Seder night, we want to use the nicest things, but we want to approach it in the best way. We're gonna, we're gonna not, we're gonna fight against the doctrine of mediocrity and do the basic level, and instead we're gonna express maximalism. Jewish maximalism, therefore, is gonna be the theme and the character of the Seder night. So I think that if that's really what this, the, the Rashbam and Rashi are expressing, that unlike Tosod and the Ram, who are saying, oh, don't worry, this, this prohibition is merely technical. It's a technical prohibition to make sure that you can fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah. You have to have room in your stomach, so make sure. Therefore, don't eat from 4 o'clock in the afternoon onward. That's not what Rashi and Rashbam are saying. They're saying, hijur mitzvah. You have an opportunity to approach the Seder night as manifested through the eating of the matzah in the best way possible and you take advantage of that opportunity. And I think that it's a beautiful way of opening up the Gemara's discussion of the Seder night. That the Gemara is now going to take us on a journey throughout the entire Seder night and this is the lens that we should approach it with. We should approach it with saying how is each aspect of the Seder going to express this notion of Jewish maximalism, this idea that we have an opportunity to not just be people who are freed, but a nation who is freed. We can express our commitment in, our, in the first opportunity, and that's what the Seder night is. Um, that's my theory. That's what I think. Uh, if you have questions or comments, on, I would love to discuss it further. Just um, one more comment on that. The Magid Mishnah says that the connection between Hanukkah and Pesach is uh, the connection of Pirsume Nisa. That any time you see you have an opportunity to be mifarsem, to uh, publicize a miracle, in Hanukkah it's the miracle of the oil, and on Pesach it's the miracles of the exodus of Egypt, 
in all those opportunities, that's when the poor person is obligated to go above and beyond the letter of the law. But I think perhaps the Magid Mishnah might be expressing a very similar idea there. Right? Any time that we have an opportunity to express the fact that we had a certain divine uh, hand-holding, right? God helped us through the situation. Any time you see that, that's when we have to go above and beyond the letter of the law. That's when the poor person needs to say, no, this is more important to me than other than other opportunities, than other mitzvot. Maybe feeding my family, probably not actually, because that might be pukach nefesh. But I think that that's a similar idea, that any time we have this opportunity of pursuing said lulav, etrog, that's not pursuing right? That you have an obligation. Wearing, blowing a shofar, not pursuing you have an obligation to blow the shofar, right? So therefore, the hijor mitzvah involved there is just have a beautiful object through which you can fulfill the mitzvah. This hijor mitzvah, I think the Kesef mission, I think that other sources indicate this as well, is saying do it in the best way. Take advantage of this opportunity to be the best type of Jew that you can. I don't know if the Would you say that the Ron is arguing on the toast vote? Would you say that the toast vote and Ron are saying the different things, or would you say that the Ron also fits into the heater mitzvah thing? So I think that what you're highlighting is there's really two ways of understanding toast vote. I presented it within the approach of the Ron, but you could just say that the reason you need to not you need to be hungry is because that's how you fulfill the hedur mitzvah. Therefore, yeah. it could be read like that. It, yeah. it definitely could be read like They're that. Related, in other words. Correct. But I don't think you could say that about the Ron. And the best way that we're going to there's two really good ways that we're going to be able to test this. Number one is what is included in this. Um, what is included in the prohibition of eating, right? If it's just matzah or matzah-like things, then maybe you're going to say that it has to do specifically with the mitzvah of matzah, right? The mitzvah of matzah should be beautiful. You might you might be able to get around that, but perhaps. But if you're going to say it's expansive to all food, right? Then it's going to be because of achilat gasa. You can't eat anything. You shouldn't be able to eat anything if we're nervous that you're going to eat too much, and therefore you'll be full. And we'll see that as we go through what is a part of this qualification of our Ripsach and Semlach Mincha. Questions, comments before I move on. Is okay. subjective? Uh, what do you mean by that? Is it always up to the individual how to make that mitzvah kind of beautiful or special for them? Um, beyond the, you know, basic halachic obligation. So yes and no. In the case of Hanukkah, it's really not. You don't really see anybody not doing the Mahajram in a Mahajram level. Really, everybody is doing Hanukkah in, in that way. Uh, there's, a, there's an argument about what that way is, but really everybody is doing that. Um, and even the halachic literature really views that as the actual halacha. Um, maybe Hanukkah time will have a little share on that. But um, in terms of buying a nice lulav, so there isn't really halachically. First of all, it's not halachically required. It's it's hijor mitzvah, um, which by definition should mean you can just do it however you want in the nicest way that you have possible, that you can possible. And there isn't a set amount. Like, they don't say you're in this uh, bracket of, you know, you make $100,000 a year, therefore you should be able to spend $50 on a lulav. 
and you make $200,000 a year, therefore you should be able to spend $100 on a loan. That's not how it works. It's, it is pretty subjective to answer your question, but there are times when it takes on a more uh, halakhically objective means, and I think that the exceptions to the, I think that those are the cases where it would fit into this other type of hedra mitzvah, namely Hanukkah and Pesach. <coughs> um, that's, what it, that's what I think. Any other questions? Okay, so I want to just set up what we're going to do next week, and we're not going to start because I don't want to start and then have to finish one minute later. But what the next, what the Gemara is going to do is ask Rebecca's question, right? Is this discussion solely within the realm of Pesach, or is it a discussion on all Shabbatot and holidays? Now, with the background that we just gave, it seems to undercut and underscore the whole approach that is talking about something specific to the opportunity that exists on Seder night, right? The more you want to say that this is something that applies to all Arab Shabbats and Yom Tovs, then you would say, well, don't tell me anything unique about Pesach, right? Maybe it's just you always have an obligation to be hungry when you're halakhically obligated to eat food, right? So that would, that would, uh, you know, score one for the Ron. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, however, there, we'll see that there. Th- this is a big discussion, and I think perhaps that's exactly the question of the Gemara. The Gemara is going to say, what do you mean? Doesn't this apply to all Arab Shabbat and Yom Tovs? And then they're going to go through back and forth and say, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't. And all the Rishonim there want to say, wanna, really want to understand the real question here. And I think the real question here is our question. Is there something unique to Seder night? to the experience of Leil HaSeder that requires us to go above and beyond, that requires us to either be extra hungry or approach it with a different attitude that doesn't exist by Shabbat and Yom Tov? Or is it no? Technically speaking, you need to be hungry. There's food you have to eat halakhically, so be hungry. Make sure you can fulfill the obligations. So I think that as we go through the Gemara, we'll see this issue that I presented a little bit today. It will become clearer and we'll be able to see other times when it manifests itself uh, throughout this discussion. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. And if you have questions, comments, I'm here for a little while now, and you always can email me.